Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Yeah, that was utterly embarrassing, pathetic. Um, yeah, just absolutely awful yesterday by the Colts. Kevin Bowen back. Uh, Eddie Garrison with me as well. Kevin's corner. Welcome back. Yeah, right? Holy hell. Oh, happy late birthday. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, boy, you know, little Max Bowen born in the world. Very grateful. Everyone's healthy. And it was kind of a wild, chaotic Thursday night and Friday morning when he was born. And then all of a sudden, Eddie, his first football game ever is Notre Dame Marshall. Um, his second football game that he witnesses with myself is Colts Texans. And just to throw the cherry on top, um, there he was watching Colts and Jags yesterday. <laughs> and I said this to Maddie. She did not find it funny. I go, you think there's any chance we can put him back in the womb and maybe try to get him back into this world, <laughs> you know, in a little bit more of a football, you know, but better uh, state of, I guess, mind frame, maybe if that's possible. But, um, yeah, man, just, just horrific. We'll, we'll break it down. Um, on today's podcast, I know typically what we do after games is what I liked, what I didn't like. I, you know, Chase McLaughlin's family probably is happy about yesterday's performance. Uh, Grover Stewart made a play or two. Yeah, I, I'm, we're not going there. I, well, I'll give some brief game thoughts. Then I think we just start with the top: Jim Mercer, Chris Ballard, Frank Reich. I think you have to give thoughts there because currently, right now, and I think I've followed and covered the Colts for. I think we're going on about a dozen years now. I've lived and been certainly, you know, in this market for 33 years of my life. I don't know, Eddie, if I've seen a worse four-game stretch than what the Colts are currently going through dating back to last season. Now, you got to factor everything in. You've got to factor in your own expectations, what's at stake, who's playing quarterback for you, I get that the 2011 season was awful. I get that there were some seasons in the early 90s that were terrible. But again, when you factor in where you're at right now as a franchise from the the decisions you've made at quarterback to the opponents you've played to what's been at stake in each of these last four games and the embarrassment of what you've seen in these four games, um, in my mind, it's right up there with any four-game stretch that I've seen in this franchise's history. Uh, before we get into the game and that and Twitter questions, Eddie, what's new, man? Not a whole lot. Uh, had the high school game on the fan on Friday. Nice. Who, who do we have? We had Ben Davis, Warren Central. Uh, ben Davis. High-scoring affair, right? Yeah, 48 uh, to tw- or 42-28 final score there. It's tied up at 21 and a half, and then Ben Davis just, you know, up the intensity in the second half and pulled away like uh, Jim Leisure and I thought they would. Um, we both came into the game and was like, there's a good chance that this could this could get ugly. And uh, Warren Central made some plays in the first half, and then second half, Ben Davis' just defense just, they looked a lot faster in the second half than they did in the first half. Nice. Um and again, for those that miss it, you will continue to do some of those Friday night games, or how's your schedule looking moving forward? Um, I don't think I'm doing any more now. Uh, now that Brendan King is back? Correct, yeah. Brendan's season will wrap up this week, so he will be back on Friday. Um, and I believe they have Franklin Central at Noblesville at that new stadium the, the Millers have. 
I love the mill, the basketball arena. So, um, well, that's good to hear. Again, it's been it was nice to get away for a week, but you know, I, I can never truly get away. And I was kind of thinking to myself, man, last week for the opener I had a lot of juice. <laughs> yeah, I thought to myself, I'd love to talk about Rodrigo Blankenship in that situation. I'd yeah. love to talk about like the T.Y. Hilton thing. I think we'll save maybe some of that for Wednesday because I, I, I do want to yeah. hit on that. I don't want to like you know beat into the ground, but I, I would like to touch on some of that stuff on Wednesday. Again, now that we're into the regular season mode, now that paternity leave is over, I think this is the schedule we'll continue to operate with: late Monday mornings, Wednesday afternoons. That is that's what I would like to do now. Um, obviously, the Thursday night game in a few weeks will will alter that schedule, but that's kind of what I would like to do. Um, Let's start with the game itself. When I saw Michael Pittman was out, that totally changed my impression of the game. Uh, you guys know full well, in late July, we did our most indispensable Colts podcast, and I had Michael Pittman above anyone else on the roster. I think he's the most indispensable player on the team, and I think you saw it firsthand. Um, the first note in the box score that Paris Campbell made yesterday in playing over 80% of the snaps was an offensive pass interference penalty in the fourth quarter. Third down in the first half where the game is still somewhat, you know, alive. Desmond Patman, a huge third down drop. Um, final drive of the first half, chance to get points. Mike Strawn, was it lined up incorrectly or false start? I kind of forget which. It was uh, lined up incorrectly. Which one it was. There were like three different times that they could not get lined up. It, it's just, I'd like to say I was shocked. I think. Honestly, Max Bowen's one-week-old mind could have looked at the Colts wide receiver depth chart and known that this was going to be an issue this season. You had no respect from Jacksonville defensively, rightfully so. Uh, Load the box. Good luck, Jonathan Taylor. And and you saw the result in the first half with, what, four yards on five carries. We'll get more into this, but your O-line and D-line, they've been whipped in the Jacksonville matchup so often, so often, particularly the offensive line. And they were certainly that yesterday. And then, Eddie, how about the defense? I, I, <laughs> Where do you start? I'm sitting there watching the first drive, and I'm like, you know, it's all, all, like kind of rubbing your eyes, and you're thinking to yourself, wait, wait, wait. Is this – did I pop in the DVR of the season finale last year? That opening drive was so reminiscent. You got Lawrence yep. in the third and long um, to start to start the game or to start their opening drive after you went three and out. Uh, or not three and out, after Ryan had the pick. What was it? Third and eight. Yep. And who? Marvin Jones, baby. Uh, first down there. Death, taxes, and a thousand paper cuts by Marvin Jones. Seriously. Uh, Lawrence was eight for eight on the opening drive last year. He was seven for seven on the opening drive this year. And again, let's all focus on Trevor Lawrence's NFL career to this point. He's been a below-average quarterback. He has struggled with accuracy. I think he was 57% in week one. If you look at his 19-game NFL career, he's had two games in his career of multiple touchdowns and no picks. One yesterday, one against the Colts to end last season. He's had two games of over 71% passing in his career. One yesterday, one in the season finale against the Colts last year. He's had two games with over, I think it's like a 96 passer rating. 120-something yesterday and like one-something or other against the Colts in last year's season finale. Um, You let him get into that rhythm. You let him build confidence. You don't 
dictate to the offense, which was a big Matt Eberflus, you know, issue. And I'll be the first one to say it. I thought Gus Bradley would bring more of kind of an open-mindedness. He certainly talked a big game about pressing and disrupting timing via that. I was talking with one of his assistants, not on this staff, on a previous staff of Gus's in the offseason. He's like, dude, I know he's talking press, but like it's going to be cover three at the end of the day, and don't expect overly exotic. And he's like, I think teams will be able to kind of take advantage of that if the personnel doesn't make up for that. And Kenny Moore continues to play like a guy that has just looked totally different since the Pro Bowl nod last season. Honestly, since that Hunter Renfro matchup in that Raiders yep. game, you know, last year with a playoff berth on the line. I thought a, a pass that kind of summed up Lawrence's day yesterday, and I think by now everyone has seen the ESPN stats and info um, note of it's the least pressured he's ever been in his NFL career. Three times. Three times in, what, 30 pass attempts, I yep. think it was. Eddie, they had a first and 20. Lawrence rolls to his left. So, like, it's the first time you've actually got him off his spot. And I don't know if I – I forget if it was a design rollout. It probably was. But, like, he'd never had to get off his spot. It was just hit the top of his drop, and boom, that ball's out, and it's easy completion, and it's methodical moving down the field. But he's out to his left, and a right-handed QB throwing across his body, and he makes a big league throw there to, I think, Kirk. I think it was Christian Kirk for a first down completion. 26 yards. On first and 20. And that's what I'm getting at is that opening drive, when you let a below-average accuracy quarterback have a perfect drive, what does that do for his confidence? Shoots it to the moon. And you saw it on that throw. Um, so I was beyond disappointed with the defensive effort um, in that game, and that just kind of set the stage for me. So, um, again, I didn't want to harp on the game too, too much. I think we all saw – what was happening, the Naheem Hines playing time. I, I, I don't get it. Eddie, You what, that was the only drive that got past the 50, right? In the first three quarters was the opening drive. Yeah. Hines, nice catch to start the game. Good matchup, take advantage of it. Boom, he's got three targets on the opening drive, and he gets two the rest of the game. I, I Desmond Patman, 12 more snaps than Naheem Hines. Kylan Granson, nine more snaps than Hines. As Darius Butler tweeted at me, when I sent out that note earlier today, Hines deserves 12-plus targets a game. Or should have had it yesterday, considering what you were missing um, with Pittman and, and even a little bit of Alec Pierce as well. So Bernard Ryman played as many snaps as Naeem Hines. Yeah, and the, again, the left tackle. I mean, you guys, I think on this podcast, our listeners know what I felt about left tackle. Like, it's been mishandled since the day Anthony Costanzo missed the first five games of the 2018 season due to a hamstring injury. At that point, your antennas have got to go up and you've got to say, all right, Costanzo's been so durable, so good. We should probably look into drafting a young tackle. And then he flirts with retirement. And as much as Andrew Luck had off-the-field interest, Anthony Costanzo has many more off-the-field stuff. And I think it ultimately led to his retirement. Remember, he re-signed for two years and only played one of those two. Yeah. And that, to me, has just been even more about practice than wide out and tight end, in all honesty. I think, again, I think you guys have heard me say that on this podcast. Anything else game-related, Eddie Garrison? 24 nothing, a shutout, first time since 6 nothing against the Jags in 2018. Jags have shut him out the last three times in the franchise career. Uh, 2017, they shut him out, too. 
to me, something that I mean, silver lining here. I thought Ashton Doolin had a productive day. Five. Yeah, Doolin had a couple nice grabs. Five catches, seventy-nine yards, and I thought uh, Bobby Okereke and Zaire Franklin both played okay. Uh, linebacker, eleven and tw- uh, ten tackles respectively. But other than that, I mean, there's nothing much else that you can really, you know, talk about. Uh, I, we were. We were in the studio, and I was talking with Greg Rakestraw and Bill Brooks before the postgame show, and we're like, where the hell is Naeem Hines? Like, we haven't – like, is he hurt? Did he get hurt? And then next thing you know, we see him in the red zone because Mo Cox almost comes down with a touchdown. He goes, oh, he's out there. There he is. But it's like, how do you only manage to get a guy who you said in the preseason, as the head coach in Frank Reich, I would want Naeem Hines on my fantasy right, team. Right, right. And you make that you set that bar that he's going to be utilized a lot, and especially when you put him out there with the receivers almost all training camp, practicing with the receivers. Michael Pittman Jr. saying, I consider him one of us now and not a running back. And you're down both Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman Jr. And he is out snapped by Ashton Doolin, Kylan Granson, Mo Ali Cox, Desmond Patman, and Mike Strawn. There is no reason for Heinz to be the sixth on that list. In terms of snaps. Yeah, I think extremely well said. I, I would also add this, Eddie. When I saw Pittman is out, I just immediately said to myself, okay, here comes the massive Naeem Hines, Jonathan Taylor package. That's what I like, texted you. Just empty it out. Like, yeah. Here it comes. And um, the fact that that wasn't even explored really in any sort of substance. Either game. Me, either game, but especially yesterday, you know, without Pittman, without Pierce. Um, again, I, we- I, I just... It, it's beyond head scratching to me. Um, I think you guys have heard me say that, like, I think Frank Reich as a play caller is a little bit better than people give him credit for. Um, but yesterday was one of those offensive moments where I'm like, holy hell, what in the world is the game plan here? And why is that thought to be the best case scenario? Um, I got nothing more in the game. Ngakwe, Kenny Moore the second, you know Kelly. I, Prior. Yeah, I, I I guess I'm going with kind of the higher paid guys. I mean, even Ryan, you can't totally absolve. I think they're putting way too much on his plate right now. But um, all of them, Gilmore. I thought Evan Ingram had his way with them. Yeah, that a was of those third downs. Yeah, it looked like Jacksonville was straight picking pick on picking. Yeah, picking pick on pick Gilmore him. whenever he was over on uh, Ingram like to see the numbers on what he was in coverage against Ingram. Yeah, I, I well, at least two on those Thursdays. down. Did I just belch? I think you did. Yeah, geez, sorry. I'd like Don't to, throw up when you're talking about the game over there. <laughs> I'd like to blame it on the lack of sleep, but I just think that was a burp. Um, okay, on that note, let's transition uh, awkwardly into Jim Mercer, Chris Boward, and Frank Reich. As I said earlier, Eddie, I think this is one of, if not the worst stretches I've ever seen from this franchise. Um and I think it's a top-down problem. Let's start with the owner. He has, with his own words, told us that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, and let's start with Ballard, I guess, with the hiring of him and calling him the greatest GM hire of the 21st century. You've created an expectation that the standard, and rightfully so, should be high here. Yep. Um, and what you did with the contract extensions last August – which is still just odd to me why you did that. You know, you are saying to them, to us, I guess, we have one of the best head coach GM duos in the entire NFL. And at the time, you gave them that extension, no division titles, one playoff win, I guess, 
still today, a year later, that's true, no division titles, one playoff win. Um, I don't feel there's any public accountability from the owner with this duo. Think about how irate he was with Carson Wentz last season. At some point, when do the people that told you Carson Wentz was the smart move not be at fault for that? When does the seat get warmer? Again, I've said the seat warmer analogy before in this podcast of I think it should be turned on entering this season. Probably on level one, right? That's where I was going with. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's ludicrous. You know, you, no way, no way. Obviously now, not only should it be on, but it should be like, you know, it's you know negative 10 <laughs> driving into work and it's full throttle. Uh, that's my opinion. I, I don't know if it is in Ursay's eyes. I don't think any of his past comments would lead to that. I also think when you, as an owner, continue to sign off on short-term Band-Aid quarterback moves, that means expectations within these individual seasons are higher. Yeah. When you make that move, you know, Tampa Bay, the Rams, these other teams that have done similar things, their expectations are, I know the phrase has been used endlessly, but the all-chips-in mantra, there should be a standard that is whatever, 12-ish wins, AFC South championship, finally getting a home playoff game for the first time in eight years. All of that comes with these sorts of moves, and you have not achieved that at all. So to me, I think that just adds to it all. Um, So I, I will start with the owner because I don't think the expectations there have met the accountability that's necessary right now I thought it was laughable the contract extension given to them last offseason because the that duo got along better than Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano frankly that's why I thought the extension was was given to them Um, it made no sense to me and I think it just sent another message of even if like you call yourself a self-motivated person Eddie or if you say like I'm a hard worker it's human instinct when you get that contract extension there's just going to be a natural sort of Oh, the feet are going to be kicked up a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, I'm being told I'm doing a good job. Hell yeah. <laughs> Look at the finances. Yeah. That's out till 2025, 2026. It, it just sent the total wrong message, I thought, um, to, to you know people far outside of just Chris Ballard and Frank Reich. Um, let's get into Ballard. Can I comment something on her yeah, yeah, real yeah. quick? Yeah. Uh, I, when you look at the accountability there, I don't know if it's just me overanalyzing here, but I saw there were videos all over Twitter with him signing footballs, handing them out to fans, even $100 bills, and he was trying to get fans rowdy up. Down in Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah, After the game, I'm like, what the hell? What's there to be excited about, Jim? I get get what you're trying to do. You're trying to, you know, make your fans excited, but you just got your asses whipped by Jacksonville. You tied against Houston. Now you've got Kansas City rolling into town. Yeah, I don't know what there I, is to be excited about. I, I think I'm with you there. I, I, I do. I mean, I, I do think there's an element of like, okay, you know, you're the owner, you're going out. I assuming he's apologizing to these fans. I mean, I, you know, we didn't hear the audio of what he's right. saying to them. Um, but there is an element of like, how are you not just beyond pissed off and you just want to go straight, you know, to whatever, the private transportation to get you to the airport and get you home. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do think Jim Mercer holds a lot of pride. I do, and I think it really frustrates him. But for some reason, I just feel like he has allowed a much longer leash 
yeah. and has not held them to the same level of accountability as he did the previous duo that he had in those positions. Or duos. Duos, certainly. You know, Pullian and Dungey obviously achieved success yeah. at, at a really high level, so that creates a longer leash. Um, you know, let's get to Chris Ballard. I think it's a stubbornness in roster building. Um, I don't think Chris has ever truly challenged himself with the question of what does it take to win in 2020 NFL? 2022 now, but let's go back a few years. Yep. You know, when the game started to evolve, Eddie, more the zone read, more the read option, more the spread. RPO. RPO. I mean, the, the game has been called differently. And just, and, you know, you call high school football games, the days of, you know, center row coming out in their wing tee and running the triple option are not <laughs> there anymore. You know, it yeah. is a much more of a seven-on-seven nature to how the game of football is played. Shotgun formation, everyone's in motion. Everyone's looking at the, the boards on the sideline. And obviously the NFL is not fully to that, but it's getting there. And I don't feel like the roster building has followed that at all. Um, so I would start there with Ballard. He has certainly found hits, great hits. Leonard, Nelson, Taylor, I mean, wonderful talents. But again... Are the price tags that you had to give up to get those guys or now giving those guys, in Leonard Nelson's case, those second contracts, are they worth it in how the NFL is played today where you can just take away Jonathan Taylor like you just saw? And, I mean, Nelson and Taylor paid, you know, Taylor will be, the best guard and the best running back combining in a position and they're total no-shows in the first half yesterday. Mm -hmm. Imagine like a quarterback-wide receiver duo paid of that similar value. They would not be total no-shows. Yeah, they, they can just impact the game, more, again, with how it's called and all of that, the easier nature it is to involve that those guys in the game as well. Um, so I would start there with Ballard. I mentioned it earlier. I, I think the mismanagement at left tackle and the betting on Matt Pryor was one of the wilder things I've seen. Yeah with that position and I don't want to beat wide receiver and tight end into the ground because I've I've done that since January I mean to me Eddie the first sign of and I you know I've been saying this for a couple years now but the first sign of like will it change Ballard and Reich's thinking pass catcher wise was watching the playoffs last year because I'm a big believer and I think you know Chris and Frank have even said this when you don't make the playoffs you watch it and you think, what are they doing that we're not doing? And if you watch the postseason, AFC or NFC teams. They score. <laughs> they score. I mean, remember the Ursa tweet? You know, you, yeah. you got to score 30 in today's regulation. Yeah. Or, 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 and I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. And you looked at the wide receivers and the tight ends. And I thought it was very fitting yesterday, the opponent that you played. I didn't see one whisper yesterday about how much money Christian Kirk's making. He proved it. I didn't see one whisper about how much money Evan Ingram's making. I mean, look at what Miami did with Tua. They get in the offseason and they say, all right, we're at a very fragile time with our franchise quarterback. We've got to support him. We've got to make an aggressive move. They go out and they do that with Tyreek Hill. The other moves that the Colts probably would have been a little bit more in their price range, I believe Amari Cooper had over 100 and a touchdown yesterday. Yes. yes Allen Robinson got in the end zone yep. for the Rams yesterday. Like, And I'm watching the Colt team where, again, the first Paris Campbell play is an offensive pass interference in the fourth quarter. 
Desmond Patman, a huge third down drop. Mike Strawn, a huge false start penalty. The separation, I've seen, have you seen like that analytic graph that's out there of like the separation the Colts pass catchers? I haven't yesterday? seen it now. It's just abysmal to look at. Again, Max Bowen could have seen this. Like, I tweeted it out, and gosh, you really, the whole sarcasm meter sometimes is needed. I think yeah. on Twitter, my tweet, I believe, I think it was after the Patman drop. Shocking to see the Colts wideout group perform like this. Utterly shocked. Yeah, that was sarcasm. Um, <laughs> and again, Eddie, think about the offseason, how it unfolded. From the playoffs last year to what those teams had at those positions to what you saw in training camp yep, with drops. Hell, what you saw in that first preseason game. They weren't out there for a lot, but, I mean, Campbell had a drop, and you know Pierce didn't win a one-on-one matchup. And you just didn't do a whole lot. And all I heard was, hey, it's a preseason. Everything will be okay. Yeah, yeah, vanilla, yeah. vanilla, vanilla. And I think Frank Reich and Chris Bauer said, we'll just scheme it up. We'll just chess match people. And as brilliant of an offensive mind as Frank and Chris can, Frank and Matt Ryan can be, talent wins. And individual talent is lacking at, again, wide out and tight end. I brought up the blackjack analogy before. In Alec Pierce and Paris Campbell, you're trying to hit on 16 or 17 with both of those moves. Both of them. You busted in week one with Pierce, and you busted yesterday with Campbell. Badly. Badly. Yep. And I. You know, I remember Frank saying some quote to the NFL Network in, in training camp of, you know, people think we're underwhelming on paper when it comes to skill positions. I tell those people, just wait and see. Well, we're two games in, and I think it's pretty obvious how glaring of a weakness it is. Um, I just, you know, I get that Matt Ryan isn't on the same career trajectory as Trevor Lawrence or Tua, but Eddie... And I said this about Philip Rivers and certainly about Carson Wentz. Like, someone called into our, our show earlier today and said, look what Carson Wentz did against Jacksonville in week one. And I'm like, yeah. Can we look at Carson Wentz's weapons? Yeah. Terry McLaurin. Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel. Jahan Dotson. Antonio Gibson. J.D. McKissick. Logan Thomas. Again, that's not here in Indy. Carson Wentz has vastly better pass-catching options than Matt Ryan has. Um, you just have not supported quarterback. When you're going to make the short term, when you're going to go there, look at the short-term support that Tampa Bay did with Brady. Look at the short-term support that the Rams did with Stafford. And the Colts have not done that, did not do that. Um, so, lastly on Ballard, go ahead, you, have, you got something? Yeah, I was going to point out something about the pass-catching group. Um, Alex Golden tweeted this out yesterday i thought it was worth bringing up you look at the last five super bowl champions and their pass catchers in connection to what you were talking about 2018 the eagles had alshon jeffrey zach Ertz, uh tory smith nelson Aguilar, and um dallas goddard 2019 patriots had edelman gronk uh chris hogan and uh oh, gordon who was that uh was josh it, gordon was it josh gordon i think gordon? so uh 2020 obviously chiefs Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, uh, Sammy Watkins, Nicole Hardman, 21 bucks at Evans, Godwin, Tony Brown, Gronk. And then last year, uh, the Rams had Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, and of course, they had their two running backs in Henderson and Akers plus uh, Tyler Higby. So it's like 
you use stubbornness as the word to describe Chris Ballard's approach to approaching the wide receiver a tight end position. To me, I would almost go as far to say it's neglect. Yeah, that, that, that's a good word. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's a really good word to throw in there. And Eddie, even just take it a step back, don't go Super Bowl, but just look at the final four eight teams last year. Right. And, and I've done this exercise, and I, I don't need to do it again, but just look at that. And look at the wideouts, and look at the tight ends as well. Last thing I'll say on Ballard, and this would worry me big time if I'm Jim Mersey. Because if you're Jim Mersey, you know how your GM feels about wideout. Like, this isn't shocking to you. You know how he feels about it. But you also know how he feels about O-line and D-line. That's his core belief. That is number one on his core belief. Trenches, trenches, trenches. The investment into the O-line and D-line is unlike any other in the NFL. And the return on that is 17 hits against Matt Ryan in two weeks. Trevor Lawrence, the least pressured QB of least pressured game of his NFL career, that would be more concerning to me. Yeah. Is that when you're looking at what my GM believes in the most, it's failing. So I, I think those are the questions that you look in the mirror on. Um, part of me wants to kind of save this for quarterback questions, but I'll just insert it here. And I think, again, listeners of this pod know this stance that I've taken for several years now. The day that Andrew Luck shocked the world, Hell, the Monday before he shocked the world when he came into you know Jim Mercy's office or Ballard or Reich or however that went down. You're Chris Bauer and you come back to your office and you bring in Ed Dodds and you say, every single day moving forward, we need to be thinking about how and where do we find the future quarterback of our franchise? How do we do it? You had the 13th overall pick there in 2019. You know you had the 21st overall pick a couple of years ago when you took Quiddy Pay. You know, what trades can you do? What, what you know? Can you draft a QB and develop? Can you tap into Frank Reich's strength and go down that path? I think there's been hesitancy to take that risk at quarterback, and it, it's a risk. I don't want to act like it's easy. It's a gargantuan risk, but there's been a a resistance to do that. And if you look at any of the teams right now that you'd call perennial top the NFL, particularly the AFC, just look at Kansas City and Buffalo right now. Big, big moves by both those organizations to get the respective quarterbacks that they have, and it's paying off for them. Um, let's move to Frank Reich. Um, you know, I 11 of the last 12 quarters, Eddie, you've been utterly embarrassed by teams that we usually call embarrassing in Jacksonville and Houston. Mm-hmm. I mean, those teams drafted what? Jacksonville was one and Houston was three last year. That's where they drafted. And this is a trend. It's a trend. You can go back really to the Raiders game, but it is a trend against bad football teams, excluding the Raiders. And now this is how you're responding to these horrific losses. It's continuing. Um, You are a gambler. I have not gambled well lately. I will admit. (laughs) But I will go here, Eddie. Touchdown favorite against the Raiders. Lost that game by three. So if you go off the Vegas margin, 10 points. Jacksonville to end last season. Two touchdown favorites. That's 14 points. You lost that game. What was the final? 26-11 is popping into my head. I think so. So I'll pull it up. 15 points. So that means 15 plus 14 is 29. 
Week one, you are a touchdown favorite with the Texans. That game ended in a tie. So that is a seven-point difference from Vegas. And then yesterday, what would the line end yesterday? Three. Three. Three-point favorite, and you lost by 24. So that is a 27-point difference. Let's add up those four numbers. 10 plus 29 is 39, plus 7 is 46, plus 27 is 73. In your last four games, if you just take the Vegas line at face value, you have been outscored by 73 points in the four games. 0-3-1 in those games. And now, let's add something on top of it. Think about what you're playing for in those four games. We're not talking about a two-touchdown favorite in Week 8 when, you know what, some of these games happen in the NFL. Jacksonville beats Buffalo last year. Well, you know, like, some of this stuff happens. But when it happens repeatedly, consecutively, yeah, and it happens when you're playing for something as big as two playoff bursts against the Raiders in Jacksonville the end last season, or that pitiful, embarrassing performance to end last year, simmering for eight months, and the week one drought is the week one drought, and then you perform like that, or this week, when I've never seen a Colts team cancel practice out of the blue, like it was canceled on Friday, Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there, and I'm like trying to decompress and not really worry about like work stuff, and I see that come across, I'm like, what? I I canceled Friday practice? Walkthrough. And this was the plan, like going into the week? It's week two. It's not week 14 where you've played 13 straight games and your injury report is, you know, CVS receipt long. Also, this is like, this is a huge game in, in outdoor weather. And that's the preparation. Can you please explain to me what the hell Frank Reich means when he says we had a pretty physical practice on Wednesday? Yeah, what does he mean by physical? Yeah, I, I know. And Again, what kind of physical are you doing? Yeah, the whole Pittman injury, that one is like, did it happen in the game and he aggravated it on Wednesday? Did he get hit in Wednesday's practice? Like, I mean, you've been out to enough training camp practices, Eddie. Like, there's no hitting. I mean, right. yeah, the O-line and the D-line are engaging, but not like you're taking guys to the ground or anything like that. Um, so, look, I, you know, I asked Bauer the question last January. You had seven pro bowlers and you missed the playoffs. How? Why? Is that an indictment on your coaching staff? I mean, that's most in the NFL. Bauer didn't even want to sniff that question. Didn't even want to go there. At some point, these questions have got to be asked. And the answers just aren't there. Or at least they're not coming from those people. Um, I like Frank Reich a lot. I think I can be pretty honest about him. Um Again, I think offensive mind-wise, certainly yesterday, the Naeem Hines usage (laughs) does not fall into this category, but I think he's better than people give him credit for. I've always had this concern, and I have this concern in general, Eddie. Watch watch NFL games. You watch Cleveland and the Jets yesterday ending? A little bit. You watch Raiders-Cardinals ending? You watch Ravens-Dolphins ending? Did see that one. Like, just being a CEO... And having to manage the chaotic nature that comes with NFL games is a must. And I think it's why you look at a Belichick or a Tomlin, or in this present-day case, I think Mike Vrabel falls into this category. Andy Reid. I know Reid's got a little bit of offensive stuff still on his plate, 
But I'm getting at more of, the, and again, I know there's other coaches like Sean McVay or Kyle Shannon. You know, there's other guys that, yeah. that do call the play. Yeah. But I prefer more of the CEO type because I think at times Frank is so, and I, I get it. It's so much to put a game plan together and to call plays and to worry about the offensive side of the football. But don't you think at times. Dan Campbell. You, 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 yeah. Don't you think at times you kind of lose sight of maybe what's going on defensively or maybe what's going on with a position group or a player? I think it's just very hard to juggle when yeah. you put that on, on, on your plate. Um, so I think that is concerning to me because when you've had these performances like you've had, the questions that I have is, and you and I were texting a little bit about this last night, you know, is your message starting to tire out? Does it become stale? Is the Monday through Saturday preparation not where it needs to be? There's a level of me that also sits here and be like, these are professional athletes. Do they really? I'm not saying they need Frank Reich throwing a computer against the wall and saying, you know, let's f and go. But those things start to kind of creep into my mind of, wow, another turd of a turd <laughs> with so much on the line. Yeah, I tweeted out the stat yesterday at the start of the fourth quarter of the score to start the fourth quarter of these last three games where you think urgency would be high. You think that this team would get off to a fast start. And yesterday, what? It's 24 nothing. You know, week one, it was, what, 20 to... Was it three? 20 to three going to the fourth. I think the final game of the season was, like, 23 to three in Jacksonville last year. Like... <sighs> I'm sorry, man. I, I, I'm, I'm just left without a lot of answers right now. Um... And again, I think it's top-down. I think all three pieces of the pie can be handed out. I know a lot of people are like, no, 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 I'm only mad at Reich, or, you know, I, I'm, what, I don't think there's a large chunk, but I'm only mad at Ballard. You know, you, you, I, I think you can lay blame at all three pairs of feet there. And, you know, again, player-wise, I, I, I love the Yannick Ngakwe trade. Um, I, I try to reiterate at times, I think Ngakwe is a guy you really feel more at the end of the year. Then you yeah. feel week in and week out. If you look at his numbers, he'll play every game and he's like a nine sat guy, you know, ten sat guy. Again, you don't necessarily feel that like week in and week out. It's not like he goes out and he has three sacks in a game. Yeah, or like Josh Allen did yesterday. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but you get to like January and you're like, oh wow, that was a really nice season for Yannick Ngakwe. But man, library quiet for him in that yeah. last rush here. Um, and I guess last thing on Reich, unless you have anything to add, because I do want to get to Twitter questions, and I know I'm kind of a long podcast, which rightfully so, I feel like. The title is head coach. The title is not play caller. The title is not offensive coordinator. The title is head coach. And I think at times, we don't necessarily point that out with Frank. And I think at times, and this is me totally projecting, and, and he would probably strongly disagree with this, at times, I think he loses sight of that, that he is the head coach, and there's so much more on his plate. And look, I get it. Again, calling plays is a big ordeal. That's a lot. So either you got to have other people on your staff that you trust in those roles to oversee yeah. the other sides of the football and, and I mean, almost just kind of have like a pseudo another head coach that you go to and the game management situations, the time management, the challenges. Like you haven't even really dealt with a whole lot of that right now in these first couple games um, and even dating back to last season with how, you know, you just got obliterated in that season finale. So uh, that's it for me on right. You got anything 
on, on, on Frank. They've scored 51 points in their last four games. And Do that again. 51 points in their last four games. 20 against Houston, 20 against the Raiders, 11 against Jacksonville, and zero against Jacksonville. And I know this isn't the right phrase to use, but like, how much of that came in the run of play to steal like a soccer phrase? I think that's a soccer phrase. I'm trying to get my <laughs> soccer lingo up for the World Cup coming. Um, you know what I'm getting at, though. Not like your backdoor fourth quarter touchdown when right. you're playing super prevent. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor's running over dudes in the fourth quarter yesterday, and I'm like, gosh, great for Taylor. Great for your fantasy team, I guess. But, you know, like, where was it when you had five carries for four yards in the first half? Yeah. Um, should we get to Twitter questions? Yeah, we can. Uh, let me throw in one other thing before we get there. We're recording this late Monday morning. Eddie, it's a phrase I've used a lot on this podcast. God bless the AFC South. <laughs> if Buffalo beats Tennessee tonight, I don't even want to go there. You'll be two weeks into the season, and this division will have mustered one victory, despite having two matchups against each other. God bless this division. <laughs> Someone <laughs> called in today and was like, you know, if the Colts go ten and five, they'll win the AFC South. And I, the first thing I said to the caller was, "Who's getting to ten wins in this division?" Yeah, is it Tennessee? Is it Jacksonville? Houston? Is it Indy? Like, Bueller? You know? Like, oh my gosh. Who would have thought the New York Giants would be 2-0? Uh, right? The Giants, Jets, and Jags all won yesterday, right? How many times has that happened in NFL history? Uh, that's a good question. It's the first time, I think, since 2009 where the Jets, the Mets, the Yankees, and the Giants all won. I saw that yesterday. And I guess the other thing that is kind of sitting on my brain as we get into Twitter questions, as much as the AFC South is an utter joke, and you're going to be in it. I mean, the Colts will be in this division until mid-November. Even if they go one, I mean, you and I were texting like, you know, yeah. do, 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 do you turn to Ellinger at some point? I'm like, dude, they're going to be in this division for weeks unless like something crazy happens. Um, Your toughest stretch, I think, is here, though. Oh yeah, I, I think sit. if you're gonna pin it down to a three-game stretch, I think this one right here: Kansas City, Tennessee at Denver. I know Denver doesn't look great in the first two weeks, but I just still don't like short week Thursday night on the road, all that. Um, so yeah, let's let, let's get two to final notes for me, and I'll read off this this first Twitter question. Uh, through the three preseason games in the first two weeks. Of the regular season, uh, Paris Campbell has three catches for 37 yards on eight targets. And that, of course, is including that gifted 20-yard at the end of overtime from Houston. Oh, yeah. That was like your, you know, Hail Mary type play. Yeah. Uh, and then yesterday, Lawrence had five incompletions, two drop interceptions, uh, two drops from his receivers, and then just one incompletion. So only one off-target throw in my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I... I you know, there were a lot of throws that I thought Ryan made yesterday that I'm like, man, those are some great balls. I at times I thought at times I thought it was a little Phillip Riversy when like you play the elite teams. Just too much on his plate. Yeah. I, I you know, Father Time, maybe we should acknowledge it a little bit more, but I don't I don't look at Matt Ryan's play yesterday and like his stat line is awful. I mean, utterly awful, and I don't think it's necessarily as indicative of how he played. Right. I mean, hell he had a pass rating of thirty four. 
Hmm. You know, I used to be happy in high school when 34 was the front nine score. And that's his freaking quarterback rating. <laughs> I'd be really happy if 34 was a front nine score. Didn't happen often. A few times, though. All right. Twitter question number one comes from Craig and Denny. Uh, what's your confidence level that Frank Reich is still here next week? You know, Eddie, the fact that we're recording this 1055 on Monday morning and nothing has come across the wire probably indicates that he will be. People were, you know, texting me a lot that yesterday. I think their general response was 25-ish percent chance he gets fired. I mean, how many times do you see a week three fire in the NFL? Right. You know, and, and again, the level of embarrassment for Ursay, there's meters to it. Yesterday was really, really embarrassing. You know what's above that? Is an embarrassment in your own building. Yeah. Is a sea of red and yellow in the building on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. It's your team getting booed off the field. That's the next rung of embarrassment. So I think those are the things to watch if you're going to keep an eye on this stuff. And, you know, I, I fully understand, you know, a firing would send a message. But, like, what are you trying to get out of that? Yeah. You know, I, I see the firings happen and, like, you know, on this staff, I'm thinking, well, they could promote John Fox. Right. They could promote Gus Bradley. But, like, if you're going to do that, like, I'd prom- I'd promote Bubba Ventrone. You know, I'd want to see a young, up-and-coming coach that you feel like maybe could be your head coach moving forward. Um, that's kind of how I look at the interim tag with things. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I would be 20, 25%. Appropriate. I think that's where I'd put it, too. Country Boy Eddie, uh, wondering for the pod where the top management even begins to look at this disaster. The Colts were literally outperformed in every aspect today except for punting. You can point out obvious flaws at offensive line, wide receiver, uh, but what about zero sacks, two quarterback hits, three pressures versus five sacks and 11 quarterback hits? Yeah, uh, Country Boy Eddie, that's the biggest concern, if I'm Mercy. It's what Ballard believes in. Eddie, let's just think about the trenches for a second. Okay. Nelson, six overall, making that money. Kelly, 18th overall, making what? He's got to be still paid as a top five, top seven center. Braden Smith, you know, 37th overall, making very good right tackle money. So there's your O-line. I haven't looked it up. It's got to be one of the highest paid offensive lines in the league, right? Ron Kelly is fourth. Fourth among centers? Yes. Gosh. Still? He signed that extension a couple years ago. Well, he's tied for second in average annual revenue. You at look 12. at your D-line. You know, a notable trade for Ngakwe. 13th overall pick traded away for Buckner. Quiddy pays 21 overall. Hell, look up your backup D-lineman. Lewis, second round. Banigou, second round. Dio second round. I mean, we're talking serious investment, and that's what you're mustering. Like, I don't think Lawrence ever got off a spot. No, outside of that one rollout we talked about, no. Top of the drop, man, boom. There's Christian Kirk for seven. There's ETN out of the backfield for, you know, four, and then he gets nine after the catch. I think there was one other one because he had to scramble for a first down. I think that was the only other time, really. Uh, Brian and Rodney, in what universe do you only give a Hall of Fame caliber running back in wet conditions, nine carries, and ten total touches, Reich becoming a serious liability with his play calling every week now? And obviously you're seeing this with the repeated questions from people. (laughs) 
a lot of people send in similar stuff. So, yeah. it, you know, your question's kind of been thrown in with some of the other ones. You know, it's a totally fair question, but also I'd argue, like, again, what Taylor in the first half, five for four yards. I mean, watch those runs, Eddie. It's not like he got tripped up in the backfield or he the turf monster got him for a six-yard loss on one of those plays. He didn't get past the line of scrimmage. Like, the individual runs probably were all, like, one, two, negative one, no game. You know, I mean, it's not like he had, you know, any flukish big loss that contributed to that. And I'll go back to the Heinz thing. That, to me, stands out more than the lack of Taylor touches. I, I understand where you're coming from, Hall of Fame caliber running back, wet conditions, all those things. But I just thought yesterday, screamed, Hines, Taylor, package, hello. Hello. Saw it on the first play of the game. That was about it. It was funny. The first play of the game, that Cisco guy was in coverage. And I'm like, man, I mean, this is it. You know, it was a linebacker last week against Houston. It's a safety today against Jackson. I mean, that's what you want. You know, those are the matchups. And, hell, I don't know if we saw it again the rest of the day. Queese, I think I'm saying that uh, correctly. Yep. I know Frank didn't know that Doug Peterson would be taking the Jaguars job. And, yes, I know they are very close friends. But does this seem a little odd? I mean, the guy was at our practices in training camp last year, and I'm not sure the same quarterback, uh, but our plays couldn't have changed that drastically, right? And as far as I'm concerned, he came to more than one. Do you think he utilized this knowledge in Sunday's game? It surely didn't help, right? Yeah, I I don't want to read too much into that, to be honest with you. And I, I don't want to dodge the question either. But, like, I mean, Doug Peterson's there for two days. I mean, they're taking a long walk on the moan on to talk about Doug Peterson's future. I don't think he's, like, sitting down and being like, hey, man, here's our playbook. And uh, when Urban gets fired and you take that Jacksonville job, this will be our game plan. <laughs> I mean, Matt Eberflus is the defense, defensive coordinator when yeah. Peterson was here last year. So I, I, don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of, you know— truth to it um no i don't i know we got a lot of frank wright questions so stevens encapsulates a lot of them is frank reich too nice to be a head coach team never seems like it reacts after getting punched in the mouth yeah i yeah i tend to think when you get to the professional level like I, i've always felt this you know, when you're in college, Eddie, if you're going to make a pie and what you want your head coach to be good at, you know, those slices of the pie look like what? Recruiting, mm-hmm. motivation, mm-hmm. discipline. Discipline. You know, discipline, motivation, I probably group together. Yeah. It's kind of that whole thing. And then, you know, in some way, X's and O's are is and on Jimmy's that pie. and Joe's, yeah. But recruiting and probably discipline and motivation are bigger on the pie than X's and O's. In the NFL, I think it's reversed. I think X's and O's is the biggest slice of the pie that you need. You would hope that there's self-motivation within professionals, within, you know, older people that are doing this for a living, slash you should get some of that from within your own locker room. Um, I do worry about, though, like, again, the Monday to Saturday managing of the operation, you know, is is he is he hitting the right buttons with that? Um, is there fatigue of message, of voice? You know, is 1% better becoming stale? The mountain? Yeah, is the mountain thing becoming stale? I again, I, I I go back to the CEO thing. I look, there can be nice head coaches. I mean, Tony yeah. Dungy, by all accounts, is a nice head coach. So I just don't want to throw that label on. But I think at times 
Frank has a quality of like, and I think him and Ballard have this a lot with their interactions. Like I remember asking Frank this question, I think in late May. You know, Frank, when you evaluate your wideouts this spring, you know, will this be kind of a big barometer and seeing do you need to go make a veteran wideout move? And he's like, yeah, but I already know what my answer is going to be. I'm going to believe in him. That's an awesome quality for a human being. Like, Frank yeah. Reich's got your back. But that's not how you can look at it. You can't have your your answer already be decided before you go out and watch. You've got to have a critical eye. Yeah. And you've got to sit there and say, Chris, I can try and make it work, but man, that's not a good-looking group. you, you got to be honest. And at times, I think you got to vouch for yourself and for your coaches to where first-year head coach Reggie Wayne at wide receiver isn't dealing with a bunch of dudes that – Hell, Reggie could probably go out and have better performances than 80% of his room Yeah, at his age. So I think that's what's kind of worrisome to me. So I just want to share a quick story because this topic did come up last night between Barry Krause and Bill Brooks on the postgame show. And again, for those that don't know, Eddie is producing the yeah. pregame and postgame yeah. uh, on the Colts Radio Network. Now, I don't think this was discussed on the air. I think we were discussing this off the air because it came up, I think, in a call of some sort. And they, Barry and Bill were sharing their experiences of when they were playing. Um, and Bill was much more in the, in the room of, I'm a grown adult. I don't need you yelling at me. Just talk to me like I'm an adult and respect me. Sure. And I will reciprocate that respect. But if you're going to yell at me, you can expect me to yell back at you whenever something's not going right. Yeah. And, and then Bill Brooks or, or Barry, on the other hand, you know, Barry played defense, Bill played offense. Barry was like, you know, back in my day when I played, uh, if you messed up on defense, they would just my co- I forget who he said his coach was. Uh, it's escaping my mind, but he would be like, "All right, you're cut. Get out of here. Get somebody. Get somebody here who wants to play." And it was like he's like that was such a motivating factor for players on defense that it really put him to work and practice every week and every day because you know you have to go out there and practice like you have to play and do your job like you have to play because that ultimately is what's going to get you on the field on Sundays or Mondays or Thursdays. And Eddie, I, I don't want to act like all 53 guys are going to react to coaching the same way. You know, e- each guy is going to be a bit different in, in how they react. Some are going to react to the hard assers better than, you know, the softies for, for yeah. lack of a better term. Um, and I get that Frank... I think Frank is very comfortable in his own skin, and I don't think Frank deviates too much from that, which I understand. You know, you don't want all of a sudden a guy to be, you know, fake emotion, fake that. But I think dialing it up a little bit to send a message to your locker room of, guys, As and this is me talking, Kevin Bowen, as I said on this podcast at the start, this is one of the most embarrassing stretches this franchise has ever had. To me... If you react like that as a head coach, I think it sends a message to your locker room of, guys, I want you to be abundantly clear how disappointed I am right now yeah, and how awful and uncalled for and unacceptable these performances have been. You can still have your core beliefs, and you can still, you know, maybe that's just you do that in a 10-minute segment in a closed-door meeting. And then as soon as you get back on the practice field— you're your same self. You know, you're your normal, hey, this is who I am. You guys can come to me for this, come to me for that, you know, all the, you know, open door policy, whatever. But I think just a glimpse of that, so these guys realize, damn, man, we haven't seen him like that. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't do anything for urgency. Maybe that doesn't change a soul, but 
Yeah, the old definition of insanity just, I don't know. I know this is comparing apples and oranges here, but I coach my brother's travel baseball team, and he's a junior in high school now, so uh, they're turning, it'll be 17U this summer. I'm the coach that's like the even keel mellow guy that's usually Mr. Optimistic, but like whenever I rip into him, it's like, oh. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh snap. Right. We right. gotta go, Coach Eddie over here, and I, and I and I feel like if Frank did that, that would also kind of, that would send the message like you're talking about. Yeah, you uh, walk out of that meeting. Oh damn, Frank is pissed, boys. Yeah, if Frank's pissed. That means we gotta go. Yeah, uh, Mitchell, three uh, two, uh, three parter here. Uh, first part is congrats on the baby, KB. Thank you, Mitchell. I appreciate that. Second part, I'm already sick of Gus Bradley's defense. Why isn't Isaiah Rogers playing cornerback? Zero snaps through the first two games is kind of ridiculous. I would agree. I. I I'll be honest, though, I don't think I'm overly surprised by it. Like, Faison out-snapped him every single day at training camp when they both were healthy. I Again, you guys know how I feel about Rodgers, but I, I'm not surprised. I, I'd like to see a little bit of rotation, but it's not shocking to me. And something else that we've already talked about a handful of different times, the defensive line has had multiple first and second round picks put on it, and it can't even get pressure. Why is Ballard considered to be so great when he's had so many draft picks in one area and still cannot generate pressure? And, you know, Mitchell, I'd argue this. This is one of the few positions that I think Ballard has a core belief in that also kind of meets to today's NFL. I mean, D-line is a big freaking deal. It is. Um and it just hasn't – the results haven't been there. You, either you're not drafting the right guys or you're not developing them. Plain and simple. Uh, this one comes from Mamba. He sent this to me on Twitter last night. Um, and I'm sorry I'm not training Kirk Cousins for Kadarius Tony. Oh, did he ask you that? Yeah, he had Dak Prescott, and he, he DM'd me. He goes, hey, uh, trade me Kirk Cousins. And the next thing you know, about a couple minutes later, I had to trade him my – proposals and it was Kadarius Tony for Kirk Cousins so I was like eh. Throw out your Twitter in case people haven't. <laughs> At Eddie Garrison underscore E-D-D-I-E uh, Garrison is G-A-R-R-I-S-O-N and of course I don't need to tell you what the underscore is. Uh, but he says hey Eddie this is my first question for the podcast so congratulations Mamba on making it on. Uh, coming in from South Jersey after the collapse of last season and the start of this season is it possible that the Indianapolis Colts are a badly coached team? Also, how likely is it that we get someone new on play calling? Appreciate all you guys do for the Colts fans worldwide, and congrats on the newborn. Thank you again for that, Mamba. I appreciate that. And tons of people re- reached out, and I really appreciate everyone um, that, that did that. It's certainly been a magical week in the Bowen family. Everybody's healthy, doing great, and maybe we'll save it for uh, another podcast. But it's kind of a chaotic Thursday night into Friday morning for delivery. They couldn't get the epidural in Maddie in time, and I'm thinking, oh, myself, boy. Was that more painful, or were watching the Colts more painful? <laughs> you know, I don't think Maddie will be this deep into the podcast and listening to it. She would probably strongly disagree with that, but no, she's an absolute hero, um, and her effort was really, honestly, inspiring to watch. Um, if Frank Reich isn't calling plays, why is he here? Yeah, you know, that's his background. You know, his background is offense. You know, obviously his background is immense in calling plays, but like again, he's to me. He should be calling the plays. The coaching, the overall coaching, I think is much more of a fair question. You know, a guy that I kind of worry about, Eddie, is, you know, Chris Strauser on that O-line. Yeah. That's a group that just seem to have regressed post-Costanzo retirement. And I mean, like, individually, some of those guys up there. Kelly. Braden Smith, even. Yeah. You know? Handling stunts and things like that. and 
gosh, man, Josh Allen had that. He just whipped Pryor in one rush, and then the <laughs> stunt, I think, was the next one. And <sighs> Yeah, yeah. I uh, Yeah, I got, I got nothing for you there. This one comes from David. Hey, Kevin, first things first, congrats on the new member of the Bowen family. Gracias. Now for the actual heat. What is wrong with Kenny Moore? He, he's almost always two steps behind the offensive player and just looks like he quit. Is he hurt? I mean, I guess he was on, wasn't he on the injury report this week, Kenny? Yeah, he was. I'd love to know a little bit more on that third and four touchdown to Christian Kirk. That was such an uncharacteristic Kenny play. Kenny is so cognizant in tune, locked into like down and distance stuff, knowing where the line is. He makes so many plays on third down. Yeah. And for him to just let Kirk, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think Kirk caught that like past the first down marker and then just ran in the end zone after it. I'm like, wait, did he think it was third and six? Did he think it was third and goal? I I I, I was so confused when I saw that. Was it his responsibility? Um, but as I said earlier, the Hunter Renfro game, and honestly, go back to the Pro Bowl nod, hasn't been the same. And I, Kenny did not do a lot of public chirping with the contract, but that story was enough of a public storyline that I put Kenny Moore on the most approved list this year. I would not have had him on the most approved list had he not, had that story not come yeah. out in the public. But when that comes out, you got to back it up. Yep. And he hasn't. No, he has not. Uh, he said, also, this will sound ridiculous considering the talent of the wide receiver room, but hear me out. Uh, I think that, is this still from David? Or did this not? I thought David sent sent a long one in. Yeah, he did. Okay. Also, this will sound ridiculous considering the talent of the wide receiver room, but hear me out. Uh, do you think the reason why these wide receivers are so underdeveloped is because of the carousel at quarterback? I don't want to give them any leeway because they're honestly not good to begin with. Uh, but the lack of consistency and rapport makes me want to think that there's a reason why their development is so stunted and causing them to be, quote, bad to begin with. Thanks, Kev. Yeah, thank you, David. And I, I think there's a lot of truth behind that. But, Eddie, I'd also point out, you know, I mean, Desmond Patman was drafted in what round? Six. Mike Strong was drafted in what round? Uh, was it like five? Same same area, ballpark-ish. Yeah, I was, I was going to say six or seven. Like, th- there's just an also element of like, I mean, they were the 200-some pick of their respective drafts. Like, yeah. banking on them to contribute at a high level. Is both, just... And both of them and really deep wide receiver classes, too. Right, right. Which, you know, again, it kind of adds to how the position has evolved, but... I mean, I, I understand the question, David, but let me look here. Christian Kirk knew, Zay Jones knew, Evan Ingram knew. Didn't seem to be any issue for Trevor Lawrence and company. New head coach, new system. There's some merit behind it, but I, I, I can't go there. Uh, f- uh, four questions left. Trevor, is it too late to move Big Q to left tackle? Trevor, it's a question we've gotten a lot over the years. Quentin Nelson doesn't want to play left tackle. I don't think he can either. I could hear that argument as well. Um, I mean, he's never done it. Yeah, didn't do it in Notre Dame. I don't think he even did it in high school. I'll go back to something I said earlier. Left tackle is the bigger malpractice. It's probably the biggest malpractice of them all. Yeah. It, it, of them all. If you look at the drafts, not dra- and again, by no means am I saying if you take a left tackle in round four, that guy becomes your future at left tackle. No. But it's a chance to learn, develop, 
And again, in an offense in college that is much more pass-happy, the NFL is not all the way there yet, it allows them to get into a professional system, get two years of whatever. Do we need to redistribute weight? Do we need to focus on you know, this level of athleticism? What do we need to do? So you aren't banking on Matt Pryor, who literally said, I, if you would have said that I was going to start at left tackle, I would have laughed at you last season. <laughs> the fact that he's now your starting left tackle? <laughs> you know? Only one's laughing so far are the Houston and the Jacksonville D-lines. Yep. Uh, Jer- uh, Jerry Hughes and uh, Josh Allen. Feasting. Absolutely. They're probably like, when's the next game on the schedule? <laughs> when do we play them next? Right. Uh, Conroy, are the Colts actually terrible? That's serious. The real que- that's seriously the real question here. Feels like they are better than this, and yet the coaching feels inept, and the players aren't executing the most elementary assignments. This is going to be a long season, I fear. Eddie, right now, how many wins for the Colts? Eight. An, an impossible question to ask you at eleven sixteen in the morning on this Monday morning. Eight. Eight. Yeah, a number sounds good. Uh, well, it doesn't sound good for Colts fans, but it sounds realistic, I guess. Especially when we considered Houston and Jacksonville two wins. You know, Houston Jacksonville, if you're going to rank the games 1 to 17, 13 and 14 on the easy scale. I mean, certainly of your road games. Yeah. Outside of the Giants game, I think it's here. And now the Giants are 2 0. Uh, again, what's worrisome to me is manhandled in seven of the eight quarters you've played. And. The schedule's about to get tougher. The schedule's about to get tougher. Because mm-hmm. once you get past, you know, you've got that, what is it, like Jacksonville and Washington, I think you kind of have in the middle there. You've got, uh, so they've got Kansas City next, then Tennessee, then Denver, Jacksonville, Tennessee, Washington. Okay, stop there. I think after Washington, that's that run of like two months of like playoff type teams. New England, Vegas, Philly, Pittsburgh, Dallas. By week, and go a step further. Is it Minnesota and the Chargers? Minnesota, Chargers, Giants, Texans. Yeah, it just it gets tough. And I mean, if you want if you want glass half full right now, here you go. The AFC South is obviously the glass half full. Just rip shots of it all you can. It does look like early on, and it's early, but the AFC has beat each other up in the first couple weeks. Now oh, yeah. some of it is the NFC beating AFC teams. But right now, and correct me if I'm wrong, the only two and O teams are Buffalo and Kansas City. I'm assuming Buffalo wins tonight. Um, Buffalo, Miami, the, Miami is two and O. Uh, Miami's two and O, and then if Buffalo wins, they will be two and O in Kansas it, right? City. Yeah. So three of sixteen at two and O. Um, so at least from a conference standpoint, it's been. But you know what? I, I say that, and I just said glass half full, and I said it out loud. But then I also am like. You have eight one and one teams. I'm also like, this team's got to show up for more than one quarter before I even start talking about this stuff, you, you know? You know what's going to be crazy when we come back on Monday of next week and we're talking about the Colts beating Kansas City? Because mm. how Colts would that be? How <laughs> how Colts would that be? Like, you know, you put, I'm trying to think of a comparison here of, a, of, a, of using Colts in the verb esque way, but like, it seems like every year, Frank Reich and company back against the wall need a win. They get a win over a team that is should be better than them. It would be. Do you want to lay that money on the line? Uh, I I don't know yet. 
Let me see the injury report first. <laughs> Just got an email updated. First coach to be fired in the NFL odds. Oh, boy. What do you think Frank Reich is on that list? Third. He's risen to two. Really? Who's one? Matt Rule at plus 250. Who's number three? Frank Reich at plus 300. Big drop to Cliff Kingsbury at plus 800. He's three? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right, how many more we got? Uh, two. Give them to me. Cameron, congrats on baby number two. Thank you, Cameron. Nothing better than being a parent. Amen to that, brother. It's been a, it's been a magical week. Uh, I can't I can't come on on that one yet. Hypothetically, let's say Ursay sells you the team tomorrow. You have unlimited resources and unlimited decision making. What changes, if any, do you make right away? What changes do you make over the next two off seasons to fix the franchise? Wow. That's a lot of responsibility. Not sure I'm worthy of that. Don't think I am. Um, you know, I'll go back to something I said earlier. I, I just think you have to sit down as a franchise, and you're not in a great situation to do this, but before any hire, any fire, or any fire, any hire, whatever, how do we find the quarterback? Eddie, when do you think the last time Jaguars fans have sat on a Monday morning and thought to themselves, we're in a better shape as a franchise moving forward than the Colts. 2011? Yeah. Even the Bortles AFC Championship run just felt flukish. You know, yeah. It just felt not sustainable. Um, I always say 2011 because that's the year they sucked, right, before? Yeah, 2-14, and 14, yeah. Colts-wise. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, Ballard, didn't he have some in- input on Mahomes? Do you sit down and you just say to Chris, you demand out of him, hey, you just you go find it. You and I were texting back and forth about you know quarterback needy teams, and I don't want to get into it on this pod because it's September 19th. Yeah. We'll have plenty of times to get there if we do, but it's just not a given that you're going to find that. Someone tweeted at me, uh, hashtag sacrifice for Bryce. <laughs> we're starting those hashtags already? Yeah. Uh, and where was the... Um, Self or Stroud? I was going to say, what, what, what are the Stroud ones? I don't know. Self or Stroud? Suck for Stroud? Um... I don't know. It's hard to find things that r- r- rhyme with Stroud. Yeah, it's kind of tough. Colts six and a half point underdogs against the Chiefs. And it was three and a half at one point, right? It was three and a half last week. Now it's six and a half after uh, yesterday. Uh, final Twitter question comes from Jake. Will we look back at the tie at a positive or a negative when we draft 14th instead of 8th because of it? LOL. Seriously, this is an abomination of a team. Are we here yet? You know, I, I, the we are not falling. Uh, we, we, look, we are not here yet. I mean, the AFC South, Eddie, it's going to, you yeah. know, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I was talking to my brother in law yesterday after the game, and, you know, I just said to him, even with today's result, I don't think my thoughts on the AFC South has like greatly, greatly shifted. It's the first one to win nine, right? Wins the division. How do you get to nine? How do you do it? You know, that, that that's what you have to be thinking about right now. And to Jake's point, this is going to be the question, Eddie, that you're going to start to get. You know, the NBA is different, but it's something that I talked about a lot last year with the Pacers. Of the entertaining losses. The NFL, it's hard to go there. Because, again, the season's shorter. Mm-hmm. 
you have more parity within the league. But when you know when do you get to that point where people are saying, "Hey, best case scenario for this season is lose." You know, and I know for some fans they just want to puke at even the thought of that. Other fans will say, "Hey, there's a lot of truth to that." We're not there yet, but with this stretch coming up, you are kind of approaching it. You know, because you're what six point underdog Sunday. It's probably going to be what a pick 'em with Tennessee in your own building next week. Yeah. Denver's going to be right around a touchdown spread, I would guess. Uh, maybe I, not I, as big of a I touchdown. I think it would depend on how how Denver looks this week. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, short week on the road. Basically, what you're looking at is a handful point underdog with Kansas City, handful point underdog with Denver. So, if you chalk those two up to losses, now you're o three and one, and what happens with Tennessee? This game is in Kansas City. You think that's ten points? Yeah, probably. Right? I would say so. I mean, usually you get three for being home. I'll be curious to see how that rises or doesn't rise throughout the week. I think it all depends on Michael Pittman Jr. Gosh, man. I mean, most indispensable, dude. Most indispensable. I want to get into this real quick. Yeah. After the Texans game, Frank said, we really liked what Alec Pierce did. What did he do? He dropped the touchdown pass. You tie. Yeah, I don't. I'd, I was like, did he block well? Like, and this is the one part of the Ballard thing that is confusing to me. Ballard himself has said so often, you cannot rely on rookie wideouts to come in here and impact. Yeah, right away, and they did that. You know, the, I'm losing my voice. I've got more gray hair in the last week. We need to end the podcast. <laughs> What are we doing the rest of the week? I'm so glad Notre Dame won. I would have stormed the field. I would have lifted Manti up. Are you Are you glad IU won too? Uh, well, I'm not. You know, not really an IU sports fan. I know a lot of people would be like, "Oh, you went there." I'm like, just because I wasn't smart enough, nor had the financials to get in Notre Dame, doesn't mean I stopped cheering for him. Uh, that IU game, dude. IU Purdue finishes at the same time. I was. My wife had just woken up from a nap. I think Rosie had just woken up as well. And I was so fast on the previous channel. My wife's like, you got to stop. It's going <laughs> wait. I'm, my head is hurting. Um, oh, by the way, how is Rosie taking it? Rosie, uh, initially she was, uh, to say she was... Um, Jealous? Well... Of the attention? She lacked lacked a high level of interest in meeting Max. <laughs> Since then, she has come around beautifully. And uh, she is a great big sister. And I mean that in all seriousness. It's been really special to watch Rosie and max um so yeah it is we're very grateful very lucky everyone's healthy again it was a chaotic couple hours there um felt like i was elio castroneves driving up 31 to <laughs> get to the hospital on time and then maddie just wowed me with uh with everything delivery wise enjoy the foot football tonight bills titans yeah we got a couple of them tonight right vikings eagles he's eddie garrison i'm kevin bowen wednesday afternoon this is how we'll operate I think a lot here in the first couple of months of the season. Like obviously, the Denver week coming up here shortly, we will not operate in this manner. But um, there are some pod questions that got sent to me that I'm like, you know what? Let's save those for Wednesday. There are actually a few that I'd like to get back to from last week. I do want to talk about kicker, and I do want to talk about T.Y. Hilton. I just want to tip my cap to him. I literally just took my cap off to T.Y. Hilton. I guess this is the end. Um, Thank you for the memories. You know, I, I think there was a lot to just acknowledge with T.Y. Hilton's career. And I want to spend some time doing that on Wednesday's pod. Eddie, have a great couple days. Thank you.
We'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.